0: You're listening to Storytime for Travellers, where adventurers share their craziest travel moments. As we have very sadly come to the end of series one of the podcast, I have a special extra episode for you. If you're new to the podcast, this probably isn't the best episode for you to listen to because it's not the normal format. But if you're one of our lovely regular listeners, you'll know that in each episode, I always ask our guests to share a pinch me moment. So this extra episode is a compilation of all of our amazing guests from this series sharing their incredible pinch me moment stories. So if you don't quite understand what a pinch me moment is yet, let me explain it to you. These are the tiny moments that happen all the time while traveling, where you just look around and think, wow, I can't believe I'm here and I can't believe I'm seeing this. They're the moments that take your breath away, change your perspective or simply just when you pause, look around and appreciate how far you've come. We've had a great first series of this podcast, and I'm so grateful for all of you that's joined us on this journey as listeners and our incredible guests. For me at least, sharing these stories is really what travelling is all about. Now I'll stop before I get all soppy. (laughs) I hope you enjoy this little compilation of Series 1's guests sharing their pinch-me moments.
1: I think we, we probably have a pinch me moment at least, I don't know, once every two weeks since September, haven't we?
2: Yeah, and these, these can be big things or little things where we just look at each other and just think, like Amy said earlier, like, what is our life right now? What is happening? Like, look where we are. So it could be something really big as like uh, a real highlight again Turkey you can tell that we like Turkey but the famous place to see hot air, uh, sorry to see hot air balloons in Cappadocia you know and it, it was it lived up to the hype it was amazing, and like we couldn't we couldn't really believe we were there. It was so incredible seeing hundreds, maybe, like I don't know how many hundreds, hundreds of balloons in the air. It was an amazing thing to see. But it can also be little things like, again, back to couch surfing, we couch surfed with, with a guy in Cairo, really nice guy. And we're out one night with his friends, driving around in his car, like, they were, I think they were probably speeding, but like speeding around Central Cairo <laughs> late at night, like dance music playing, like electric dance music. And me and Amy were just looking at each other. It's just like, what are we doing? We, if we were a normal, like... I don't know. I'm I'm now 30. If we're normal 30 year olds, we'd be back at home by now, probably at our job or probably watching TV at home. But like we're cruising around Cairo, listening to <laughs> dance music. Like, like what is speeding
0: happening through the city? <laughs>
2: oh yeah, and and the driver almost well, a few times he almost got into like these road rage road rage fights. So like we're trying to break up these fights as well. But it's just like it's a crazy situation. You look back and you think like it was amazing but weird.
1: Yeah, I really think- surreal. Really surreal. I think, yeah, they were definitely pinch me moments for me. Um, But also, uh, there's a place in Brazil, it's a national park. If you know of Salvador, it's kind of six hours on the bus from there. And it's called Chapada Diamantina. And it's this well there's two sides to it so it's a national park and it's beautiful but a lot of spiritual people go there because they say there's kind of crystals in the ground and there's a there's a specific mountain called Pai Ignacio and people go up it and people were telling us that when you go up you'll cry and I was like okay I don't think that's me and Nick (laughs) I mean we're interested in learning about different cultures but we're not that spiritual and we went up there and it's true that there were girls that had climbed it and it only takes about 15 minutes so it's not like it's this epic journey to get up there and uh, there were people crying and it was just it was very strange but but really cool at the same time but the whole time so when we went to Chapada Diamantina we were meant to go for about 4 days and move on but we stayed for 2 weeks because it's just the most beautiful place on this planet like i would say for sure it's top of my list if i had to choose one specific place i would choose there for the best place i've been on earth
3: i was in Iceland again um in January with some of my good friends. Um I can't remember what day this was. Probably the second last day we were there. We hadn't had any clear skies at this point. Um, really wanted to get the northern Lights again. And um we went out to this place called Stock which is on the east coast of Iceland. I've been there a couple of times before, but never at night. And uh we drove there like Colin McRae through the the dusty trails (laughs) to get there Um, and when we got there it's like the northern lights were like visible definitely and then they kicked off a little bit but it was just they were kind of like mildly strong most of the night but just being there on the beach so it's this beach black sand beach um very still um, it was re- like really quiet and peaceful. Um, quite cold. Cause yeah, it's I, on I think
0: I went to that beach, but I can't yeah. imagine going there at night time. Yeah,
3: because it's, it's like Black Sand Beach. Like You get a lot of reflections where the water comes onto the beach and ret- yeah. retreats. Um, so on there like a mountain at the end of the beach. Like There's not many places in the world where you get a beautiful Black Sand Beach with a mountain at the end yeah, of it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so we were there. My friend uh, Tom and I were together taking like night photos and we've got these big puffy damn jackets on um and we had our like big camera bags on we basically look like spacemen and <laughs> we felt like
0: yeah i guess you have to take a lot of gear as well yeah
3: yeah yeah but for a second then we were like this is actually amazing it doesn't really feel like earth to us it feels like a different planet yeah and yeah that, that for sure has been one of my me moments and we were just like in awe of this place and
4: how yeah. out of this world it felt One of my favorite regions in the world is the South Pacific. I just love the variation of all the islands out there. And there was one place called Kiribati that I went to. um, And it is, so when I went out there, it was really confusing as well because they had the international dateline that split like down the middle of countries like Tuvalu, Kiribati, Samoa. And for some reason, some genius decided at the time to kind of schedule all these flights between them at about 11 p.m. And they're about two-hour flights. So essentially, some flights arrived plus two days because you went over midnight and over the International Dateline. Anyway, that's just a side note. I just found it pretty cool. (laughs) But um, now they've moved the International Dateline, so they're all in the same place. However, Kiribati is the most furthest Eastern country. So it's the first country in the world to see the sunrise. They even have the sun rising on their flag. Um, And in the year 2000, they got a load of people spending loads of money going all the way out there just to see the sunrise um, when they thought the world was going to suddenly evaporate into nothing I don't oh, know what they yeah. thought oh my but,
0: gosh I forgot about that um, yeah can
4: yeah. you imagine the disappointment when you spent yeah. so much money and you turn around and th- oh well, that was the
0: world didn't end
4: could have <laughs> gone on <an> all inclusive <laughs> to Mexico um, so yeah I was out there and just one random morning I woke up and went to literally the very furthest eastern beach of the only the first inhabited island in the world and uh, and watched the sunrise and There was kind of this moment where I looked both sides down the beach left and right and there's not a single person and I kind of had that moment where I thought wow I'm actually the first person in the world to watch the sunrise today which was kind of uh nice and it gets onto the whole I guess debate in terms of do people like traveling by themselves or yeah in a group and stuff but that's one of those moments where I'm kind of quite happy just to keep that as as mine.
5: My first ever pinch me moment was actually when I was working on a cruise ship in Alaska. Um, and I think it was my f- second week um, on, the, on the cruise ship. And I would say that my first two weeks was super duper hard. When I started working there, I didn't really know what I'm getting myself into. Um, I just thought, yeah, it's going to be fun, you know, like working in a different country Yeah, sign me up for it, you know, but I didn't really realize that I did not speak enough English for this job because I was surrounded by, I would say like 99% of English speaking people and there was literally no one around me um, who was speaking my language or who was from the same country or background. So I didn't quite get a lot of friends and a lot of support. There was no internet on, on the on the ship and you had to pay for every single megabyte, megabyte. So I couldn't really be connected to my friends and family back home. So it was super hard for me. So the first two weeks, I was literally, I was crying. I was laying around in my cabin, just thinking like, what I am I doing here? Like how I'm gonna survive? And I had to be there for three months. Right. Um, and after two weeks, I was like, you know, if you can, uh, if you cannot change the situation, at least you have to enjoy it. So I went um, on a deck and I just was staring in the water and we were passing um, through all this like beautiful canyons and icebergs and the water was deep and blue and it was the first time ever that I saw whales and dolphins just following our ship and I couldn't believe my eyes like coming from Latvia I never I uh, first of all never saw an animal out in the wild because we don't really have any maybe occasionally Hedgehog, <laughs> a stray dog, you know, maybe a deer if you get lucky, but nothing like nothing like whales and dolphins. So I couldn't believe my eyes. Like I was looking at that. I was like, no, that cannot be true, you know. And that was hundreds of them, like maybe 20 whales and maybe like hundreds of dolphins just like swimming after our ship. And like there was nothing around, just icebergs and beautiful mountains with snow in it. And it was just beautiful. And I was like, wow. And I was complaining about it for the two weeks that, like, I'm here, like, and I cannot deal with it. It's funny how, like, a split second can change your whole perspective on an experience. Exactly. And I was like, wow, like, I have to be grateful for this, for this opportunity, you know, because not a lot of Latvians can tell that they've been to Latv- uh, to uh, Alaska, and not a lot of people can tell that they've been to Alaska because it's such a remote and such a beautiful place. So from that moment, I started to obviously appreciate this experience. Um, I started to go off the ship more to see different places. And uh, yeah, and this is how I fell in love with traveling. And this is what made me love nature, environment, um, and of course, our beautiful animals. And then I have the other pinch me moment that was not as great. (laughs) It was, um, yeah, pretty much uh, a year ago. Um, The first time when I saw all the ocean plastic um, on our beaches. And I don't remember where exactly that was. I think it was in Sri Lanka. Um, Just a just a beautiful, very remote beach completely no one around um and like you know you can you can see that this is not like a touristy place like people don't really go there you you don't see any tourists laying around so i was walking on the beach and i saw all this plastic and i couldn't believe because in my head it didn't make any sense like how can it be so much rubbish here if there are no people because i always thought that garbage like comes from people like it cannot just come from the ocean like from where like no one would Go into the ocean and just dump their rubbish in there, you know. So for me, it was shocking to see all this, all the plastic, and like I couldn't understand where it's coming from, and obviously. After that, I started to get more into plastic pollution and sustainability. So I learned that um, everything is connected. Whenever you throw all the trash away um, and it goes to landfills, then close to them, you can see, um, you can find rivers or water bodies, and then everything goes back to the ocean. So, not necessarily you have to dump your trash in the ocean at some point. In your life is still gonna end up there. So the first thing is that we have to think about how much um, trash we're producing.
6: I think my pinch me moment was, wasn't anything of natural beauty. It was more thinking about the situation that I had got myself into and just laughing. I couldn't help but laugh. I had just broken my foot in grease on a small scooter which is an entirely different story that we won't talk about. And someone had messaged me on Instagram and said, we can help you. We're in Bulgaria. We've got a pickup truck, a group of friends. We've been following your journey via social media for like a few months. Now we love what you're doing. We'll come pick up your motorcycle. We'll get you medical care in Bulgaria. And You know, don't worry about it. And, you know, that saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So I was pretty skeptical. I had decided to drive my motorcycle with a broken foot, regardless, into Bulgaria. And this guy, who, mind you, has become one of my really close friends, told me, well, how about we just meet for coffee? I'd love to meet you. I said, all right, I can do that. I meet with him. And he's the nicest guy in the world. He said, I've got a, like, a penthouse suite that you can stay in let your foot rest it's fine relax everything's cool and I was like okay that's fine I'll check it out still pretty skeptical I see this like perfect penthouse suite and he goes you want to see my motorcycles and he takes me downstairs and there's two or three motorcycles ATVs a side by side four by four a Porsche and a Lamborghini. And I'm Whoa. like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm not even going to ask too many questions. This looks like a lot of fun. He goes, which one do you want to take for a ride? So I'm like, obviously the Lamborghini. He goes, all right, let's go. And we're driving around Sofia, Bulgaria at what seems like a million and a half miles an hour doing my donuts and peel outs in the parliament building is in the middle of the city. And it's, it's this massive traffic circle and we're doing donuts in front of the parliament building in a Lamborghini in Bulgaria. And I'm thinking to myself, is this real life? What the what the <laughs> heck did I do? It's yeah, kind of und- unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> I have video and photo evidence <laughs> because I told yeah, the like, story. It really happened. I wish I could show you my phone they're like you are so full of it, and I was like, "No, check this out!" <laughs> and we're doing—we're just driving around Bulgaria like maniacs, doing circles in front of a government like the highest, highest government building. It would be equivalent of me doing like donuts in front of a uh, in front of the White House in Washington D.C. And uh, I was like, "Can someone pinch me? Is this real life? What the heck?" is going on here and then I just realized again when you start traveling you meet unique people you meet special people and it was just an individual who um who's befriended me and and, you know just wanted to be involved in the journey and show me a good time and um I ended up getting to know his his family and his children and his friends in, in during my time in Bulgaria. They treated me like I was one of them, and it was just it 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 was almost so good to be true. It, it I was thinking to myself, someone needs to pinch me. There's no way this is real life.
5: One for me was probably my first solo trip. Um, I went to. Thailand I went to Chiang Mai and I was at this temple and everything was made of gold and I had never really been to well I hadn't been to Asia before and I hadn't been to a temple before and you know how grand they are and they're all made of gold and they're just really beautiful and um and I was just kind of looking at that thinking, holy cow, I, I came on this trip by myself. It's my first time, like, you know, really just going far. Like when I got to Thailand, I had no plan. I was just on my own. So um, it was just one of those moments. I thought, wow, I've really done this. I've really embarked in my own journey and I'm by myself and I'm seeing these like amazing sights. And um, yeah, it was just like a really special moment.
7: Yeah, so this one's from the Himalayas as well. Um, so we'd, we'd ridden up all the high roads and we were actually riding back um, down through the Himalayas. And the Himalayas is somewhere that if I could only ever do one bike trip again, I would go back there. It was absolutely stunning and changes so much. It's so varied. Um, and just the scale of it is just enormous. So we are riding back down and we've probably been in the Himalayas for maybe a week maybe a bit more at this time. Um, and this is one tiny road, which is about one car lane wide. And all of these trucks are trying to get around each other and overtake each other down this mountain with like a thousand foot drop on one side. Um, and it was it was just so intense. And the whole day you're getting more and more worked up and more and more stressed and more and more just focused on, staying alive, um, and the guy that I was riding with in the Himalayas, he was—he carried on and kind of just battling through the traffic, and I just stopped, pulled up on the side of the road and sat back for a bit and waited for the trucks to clear, um, and everything kind of went quiet as the, as the trucks went around the corner of a mountain, and I looked up, and there was this massive bearded vulture, which has got this amazing golden neck and stomach just circling above and these gorgeous green mountains with the snow melting and rivers starting to form at the bottom and uh, yeah that was amazing that was the first time i kind of realized that i'd just ridden a motorbike from england to the highest roads in the world and was in this incredible place and yeah really really thankful to be there at that point
8: i'll take you back to to sailing um and the very first passage that i did um was sailing from, well, not the first passage, the second passage, but the first passage across the Pacific was from Cabo St. Lucas in Mexico across to Nukihiva uh, in the Marquesa Islands in the Pacific. And it's a, a voyage that which is 3,400 miles and took us 33 days, um, which is just an enormous passage. Um, and you're kind of concentrating when you first start on the navigation and making sure the boat's ready and all the apprehension about where you're going to go and then you get into a a sense of sort of looking at the world and thinking about everything in great detail because you've got an enormous amount of time on your hands and then when you're getting towards your destination you're then thinking about arriving in Polynesia for the first time and I was very very aware that uh, my navigation back then, there, you know, although we had a, a GPS receiver, it was switched off most of the time. And we were navigating off maps that were from 1860, from you know Captain Cook's time. And there were no electronic maps. They literally were bits of paper that I had photocopied um, from somebody else. And I was acutely aware that I had to find Nookie Heaver because it was 3,400 miles away from the Pacific, sort of west coast of America, and was in the middle of nowhere and the morning that we arrived um, firstly you can you can smell the island before you hear it uh, before you see it um, on the horizon because they're very low-lying islands there you've got about an eight mile kind of view from the top of your sailboat to the horizon um, and these islands are quite low-lying so you can't see them until you're about 20 miles away but you can smell them before that. How, can you, how
0: can you smell them? What is the smell of land?
8: You can just smell lush green. Your, your sense of smell is really heightened when you're on a sailboat because there's no pollution in the air. You're just breathing fresh air. And when the smell or the scent changes in the air, it's difficult to explain. Or maybe it was just me looking at the map going, oh, I can see there's an island on the, on the map. <laughs> I can smell it. I don't know. But as we arrived, I kind of, I've always had this um, hammock that I used to string up on the front of my boat, and which is one of the reasons I went sailing in the first place was to sit in a hammock on the front of my boat. And I was sailing towards, motor sailing towards uh, Nooki and we were about 25 miles away, you couldn't quite see it, and I was swinging away in my hammock, and a school of dolphins came up in front of the boat and swam with us for the last 25 miles of our journey. And it was as if they were guiding us into Nooki uh, and as the, the sort of island came into view, they stayed with us and they stayed with us all the way until we got into Daniels Bay. And to this day, it just sends goosebumps down in my spine thinking about it, that these dolphins were in front of my boat swimming along with us. And I was in the middle of the Pacific having sighted land and was about to make landfall in my first Pacific island. So it was a, it was a huge moment for me um and one that i'll never forget but then when we came to anchor into Daniel's bay um we anchored and i was at the front of the boat and julian was steering and we were shouting backwards and forwards at each other drop the anchor reverse back on the on the anchor and 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 i like to when i get somewhere i like to kind of swim over and say hello to some other people uh or in other boats and i swam over to the boat next to me which is a boat called avon migrant and um This guy said to me, he said, oh, to look at you two, anyone would think it's the first time you've ever anchored your boat. And I I thought to myself, do you know, this is the first time we've ever anchored our boat. Because all the time that we were in Mexico, we were on a mooring buoy. And it had never occurred to me that we'd sailed, you know, halfway, not halfway around the world, but, you know, a good distance around the world, um, across the Pacific, and we'd never anchored before. So everything was a learning curve, everything was new, and it was just... It was a, an amazing time in my life where I just felt, you know, totally alive.
9: You know, I was in Antarctica this past winter, and I spent three weeks on an expedition completely by myself without seeing any other people. Um, and so to spend day after day and, and to look around and know that you're that only person there in that huge environment, um, that's pretty incredible. And I feel like I've had the same experience in the Arctic Ocean or in the mountains is just being so removed from other human beings that it seems like you're on another planet. It's a pretty incredible experience in that moment.
10: Pinch me moment was when I first visited the Amalfi coast for the first time, having lived in Rome already for a few months, um, decided to make the trip out with a friend. And when you're going out there, you're driving around these winding roads on the steepest cliff, and it's just the most incredible view. The sea truly glows that light blue color, that turquoisey blue color. And what was incredible for me was that this image of Positano and other images of them all, because I'd always put them on vision boards and I'd always had them as the wallpaper on my desktop background. And when I was in my corporate job before I made the leap to Rome, I just always surrounded myself with these images. And then finally, I was there. And to see it with my own eyes, it was absolutely incredible. And I think in that moment, when you're visualizing something so much and you're wishing for something so much, when it comes to fruition, you're just in awe. And, yeah, just, like, goosebumps and everything. And in that moment after that trip, I realized, if I really want to stay in Rome longer than one year, I can. If I made all of this happen, if I took the leap of faith, leaving my safe corporate job and decided to move to Rome for a year... Who's to say it can't stay a little bit longer? So it was in that trip too and after that moment of just seeing my dreams materialize that I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go for it. (laughs) I believed in myself much more.
9: We were in Ecuador and there's this one three-day hike. It's called the Kilotoa Loop. And it was kind of like something that we never attempted before. Sort of a hike that takes three days. You walk from, you know, you start from a village, you walk to another village and you stay at like a hostel. And then you keep walking and then on the last day is where you end up, you have to like hike up for like five hours to get to this top of this inactive volcano that's like a massive sort of like a crater and it's just like filled, it's just like a massive lake inside of it. And then that was one of those moments where we're standing at the top on the ridge of this inactive volcano and you're like looking into you know, into this massive lake. And it just like, it made me think like, wow, you know, think of it where we are, think of the people that we just hiked up here with. And this took us three days, I would have, you know, I would have never before think that I could actually just, you know, walk for three days straight, just with some friends and people that you meet along the way. And it just makes you feel really grateful for, you know, like something so small, you know, we just had some fruits in our backpack. We had some sandwiches, nothing crazy, Um, just had some water. And it's just like, you're standing there. Everybody's like, just chatting away about, you know, you're not talking away about, you know, problems in life or anything. You're just enjoying that moment. And it was just breathtaking. Um, Absolutely beautiful. I, yeah, that's definitely one of the One of those things I think back and I'm like, wow, yeah, we actually did that. That was amazing.
0: I hope you've enjoyed that compilation of our incredible guests sharing their pinch-me moments. Making this podcast has been such a brilliant journey, and I couldn't have done Series 1 without the support and encouragement from these travelers that we featured, who is such an inspiration. I also want to thank you for listening and sharing the podcast. It means so much. Sharing these stories really is what travelling is all about. And Storytime for Travellers will be back very soon for Series 2 with more amazing travellers. Until then, keep in touch with us on Instagram at Storytime for Travellers and keep having adventures.